0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We co-evolve with plants, and so we are complex and we need lots of complexity. So, while modern medicine became really good at doing and dealing with acute conditions and still does, don't go and see a herbalist if you're knocked down on the street, mm, Absolutely. and thank God for painkillers and so on, so there's lots of good things about modern drugs, but they're not really designed for, for, for chronic disease the long-term things, which actually conditions which we tend to contribute to ourselves through lifestyle or food or whatever. So in 1864, we got this group of people together who said we want to support the professional use of, of plant medicine, inform it with the, the emerging science, and that's really where we are still today. Welcome
1: to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me, Dr. Rupi, where we discuss the most important topics and concepts in the medicinal qualities of food and lifestyle. These are some of the things that I've written about in my latest book, Eat to Be Illness. And today I'm speaking with medical herbalist and author of the amazing book, Root to STEM by Alex Laird. She runs one of the few NHS medical herbalism clinics at Whipscross Cross Hospital in London, alongside a consultant dermatologist where she sees everything. Everything from acne to rosacea to eczema and has over 20 years of experience. She's trained in biomedicine and plant pharmacology. She's also a visiting lecturer and has published numerous research papers. And she's also a co-founder of the charity Living Medicine. Now, she's a firm believer in using food and forage plants to help support well-being. And eating for your health is not like food as a pill, but as an important consideration for health. And that's why I believe that nutrition training is vital for all medical practitioners to grasp an understanding of as well as the public. There is a lot of evidence-based safe dietary and lifestyle change that we as practitioners can be confidently discussing with our patients and that's why I think medical herbalism as a complement to other therapies is something that needs a lot more attention and could Potentially have a lot of benefits. As a general practitioner I've anecdotally seen a lot of improvements with medical herbalism as an adjunct to therapy. This is not something to have in isolation. We work collaboratively and that's why I was so impressed by the fact that she works in an NHS hospital alongside conventionally trained practitioners. I'm trying to steer away from the term conventional actually because in essence we are all practitioners and patients are what we need to focus on most. We're going to be cooking a adapted recipe from her book, Root to Stem, and I'm fascinated by her role as a, as a herbalist and, and her knowledge of plant pharmacology that will definitely come through in our conversation. Listen to the end for a summary of our discussion. You can check out the video of the recipe that we made on my YouTube channel, The Doctor's Kitchen, as well as a whole bunch of other things on the website to improve your overall well-being. On to the podcast. Alex. Welcome to the kitchen. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have a medical herbalist <laughs> here. And so why don't you tell us a bit about medical herbalism itself as a specialty? Because yeah. there's very few of you in the UK. Mm. Uh, it seems to be quite a close-knit community as well. Yeah. Um, everyone knows each other. So w- yes. w- what is medical herbalism to you? How did it start? And and I, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're working in the NHS yeah. as well, at yes. Hospital.
0: Well, I, yeah, I'm very lu- lucky to do it. So in 1864... Um, Some people got together, it included doctors um, as well as lay practitioners of herbal medicine, Uh, and they wanted to really um, bring, if you like, the more modern science Mm -hmm. to bear and to inform tradition. So the tradition, I suppose, that had been used, all doctors were using plants Mm -hmm. as medicine because that's what plants were. And it was whole plant medicine, Mm -hmm. pretty much. And then, of course, as the scientific method came in, there was this change in medicine and using mercury and all kinds of other things. And, of course, there were some lots of good things and lots of intelligent approaches and rational approach. But um, it, it was believed that we shouldn't chuck out the beauty and the... The, the value of whole plant medicine. And I suppose now we know the reason for that um, because we know that we're highly complex creatures yep. and single use, uh, taking out one active ingredient of a plant and one of the earliest that was turned into a drug, as you know, is yep. digoxin or uh, digoxin, which is an alkaloid from um, Digitalis, mm. from Foxglove. Mm-hmm. Um, that has major Consequences on the body because you t- you know we're not normally used to taking out one, one ingredient exactly we yeah. are we co-evolved with plants mm-hmm. and so we are complex and we need lots of complexity so while modern medicine mm. became really good at doing and dealing with acute conditions and still does mm. don't go and see a herbalist if you're knocked down on the street mm. absolutely and thank God for painkillers and so on so there's lots of good things about modern drugs. But they're not really designed for, a, for, a, for a chronic disease, mm. for long-term things, which are actually conditions which we tend to contribute to ourselves yeah. through lifestyle or yeah. food or whatever. So in 1864, we got this group of people together who said, we want to support the professional use of, of plant medicine, inform it with the, the emerging science and that's really where we are still today right yeah and it's looking much more as maybe you understand with functional medicine the mm. functional medicine so it's very much now a functional approach we mm. look at what different um how the different organs are functioning you know the, the 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 health of the cell yeah uh how we eat i mean back to hippocrates who is the father of medicine mm. food sleep um bowel function, you know, digestion, absorption, mm-hmm. yeah. and also really, really key thing, which is now understanding much more about the circadian rhythm. Mm. So that's where, if you like, the more modern science comes in, is understanding kind of complexity. And we've been doing complexity for a long time, but now we're learning much more from science as to refining our knowledge about our relationship with plants. We know more about what's in them, mm. what might be less beneficial, like mm. people have been using borage for hundreds of years, and now we know that that particular plant family is um, contains pyrrolizidine alkaloids, which we know actually cause liver cancer and are really damaging to us over long term. Mm. Long term, not not in the short term. Mm.
1: Exactly.
0: So yeah, that's really it. And there are probably actually about five or six hundred, possibly more, medical herbalists. But the reason that we all know each other is because we many of us train together right, at yeah. the College of Practitioners of phytotherapy, uh-huh. or Poly- College of Phytotherapy in mm. Kent, which was in Sussex, which was um, a, a later incarnation of one of the original schools. Yeah,
1: and you've brought some wonderful <laughs> treats with you as well. Uh, do you want to tell us a, a bit about yes. that actually? Yeah. Yes.
0: Well, it's very exciting this time of year because uh-huh. now we are July. Yeah, and. Um, my garden is... Oh, I'm very blessed to have a garden, mm. and it is overflowing with um, a second flush, if you like, of roses. Now, mm. these are old roses, and they are so, so smelly. They look and smell They are amazing. Delicious. In fact, you just have to smell that one. Yeah. Just to have a
1: whiff. Oh, wow. That's so powerful.
0: It is amazingly powerful. Mm. So this is actually an old rose. Mm. She's called Madame... Isaac Pereira. <laughs> a... So watch out. And this one is another old rose. Have a whiff of her. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Very distinct. You're really transported. Aren't you? Yeah. And this is actually a, this one is called Comte de Chambord. So Comte it's the de Count de Chambord. of Chambord. So he's a, he's a, he's a man, apparently. Uh, and... Anything of French. It just sounds delicious. <laughs> I know well, it huh? does. Yeah. It sounds yeah. delicious. So these are two of the most fragrant roses you can have. Mm-hmm. And and in traditional medicine, which we try as medical herbalists to inform, you know, with science and Mm. so on as well, but not lose the spirit and the soul Mm. of understanding the relationship of plants to us, this rose is really associated traditionally with the heart... It's also been used, believe it or not, in impotence. Oh, right. There's okay. been some research into impotence oh, wow. for men. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's a, a, a full of these wonderful flavonoids and, and um, pigments, which actually support circulation, but it's particularly used in... Um, menstrual menopausal mm. conditions but it's mm. also astringent so it's mm. very you know we use it you know rose water yes yeah which yeah, is a yeah, classic thing yeah yeah for, for we skin use
1: that for so many different things in indian cuisine uh, mm. persian cuisine yes, as well persian. they love rose rose petals and stuff
0: yeah mm. what, one of the great things about this um, is that it's absolutely full of i mean maybe even as many as a thousand phytochemicals right um and the beauty is, as you say, about the use of um, rose water, uh, Bosus and, rose yes, water yeah, and the yeah. floral waters, mm. which you get when you gently actually distill. You water distill, you pass water, hot water, over a whole mass of beautiful um, petals. And what you get then in the distillation is the floral water picking up, the water that picks up some of those phytochemicals. Mm. But the beauty, one of the beauties of those, which can be used in food, of course, mm. Um as astringent for the for the for the face hmm. for skin, um, is that it's these floral waters are brilliant for using with kids as well because yeah. they're very. It's a lovely way of getting medicine into them in a gentle way. Yeah. yeah so things like. Um, orange leaf and pettigrain uh, floral waters and chamomile floral water. Yes you can make a tea but you can also use the floral waters.
1: Yeah and my mum will attest to that actually because she's always making uh, skin preparations with rose water and different essential oils and stuff. She will never give me the recipe because she believes that I'll just give it to her over one which is why I can't. She's probably right. right. She's yeah. probably right yeah. 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 So,
0: Would she distill her own? Uh, I'm not too sure
1: actually. Okay. <laughs> she wouldn't give me the recipe.
0: Because <laughs> that's quite a fun thing to do. Yeah, you know, you could yeah. do it on your own cooker. Yeah. Very yeah. simply. You, yeah. Know,
1: you can distill your own. Absolutely, yeah. And in India, we have like a whole bunch of um, uh, rose farms and stuff, and they actually make the rose water, and you of see course. how they make it from scratch. It's, it's pretty amazing. Mm. That smell is wonderful, and you've got some mm. other goodies so here So we've as got well. some
0: other things. So we've got um, geranium. Now, this is really easy, like those mm. two roses mm. are, mm. to grow um, in a garden. But when the winter comes, you need to bring them in because this is a pelargonium, uh-huh. pelargonium graveolens. So it's a culinary geranium, uh-huh. if you like. So know That's know. All right. um, and the smell, again, it's so full of essential oils. So, Wonderful. you know, you yeah, wow. It? I mean, that really is strong. Tiny little flower, again, very similar to rose. So
1: I'm going to start growing this in the You're going to start growing it, exactly, because you number, just plonk
0: yeah. that uh-huh. into, maybe take the bottom leaves off a little uh-huh. bit, and then put it into some soil, and really, it just is so vigorous, it will yeah. really grow easily, but it doesn't like the frost, so you okay. have to bring it in the
1: frost. It, you know. So what are the uses for this? Then? So this,
0: in a way, is quite similar to the rose. It's mm. astringent, mm-hmm. it's good as a face facial tonic, uh-huh. it's very uplifting. Uh-huh. In fact, that's the thing about the rose, why it's connected to the heart, because it's, right. it's kind of in a way a bit of an antidepressant you know it makes you feel good it's, really um, yes. so that's what this does but it's also linked to fertility and menstrual problems and menopause and so on so we use it either as a tincture or what we're going to do actually is to make a tea
1: okay yeah
0: with the, with that and the rose just to show that you can and how to, how to do it and then this is from uh, is a honeysuckle, mm. and I don't use this so much in Western herbal medicine, but probably should. But in Chinese herbal medicine, it is the herb for lung conditions. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it, this one doesn't quite smell as much, but although it's beginning. Mm, yeah, bit, yeah, it's coming
1: out actually because. That-
0: yeah. It is so. You just make a, a tea, which I infuse for a long time. None of this dunking a yeah. tea bag in and <laughs> yeah. taking. That is not really a yeah. proper tea, in my <laughs> humble opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about letting these flavours in gentle, not to, in this case because these are delicate, not in total boiling water, but off the boil, and letting them infuse for maybe half an hour or an hour or longer. Till actually, I prefer them tepid myself, but that's just a matter of taste
1: amazing yeah i think i think it's absolutely fascinating to witness this renaissance of lifestyle medicine that has a basis across all different cultures one mm. of the wonderful things uh, i love about your book is um the dedication of it being to nature essentially mm. and how nature is the greatest teacher mm. and how when we put ourselves in the best environment we're actually looking after ourselves um mm. better than any singular drug element that isn't to dis, uh, discredit utility of pharmaceuticals i use them every day as an emergency physician and as a general practitioner but the there's a wonderful term i came across um, salutogenesis which is the creation of well-being and actually when you look at the factors behind salutogenesis it's things like your environment it's things like plants it's things like um, support networks community sense of purpose uh, all these different things and i think it's a fascinating mm-hmm. word because in medicine we're taught pathogenesis so the mechanism behind illness and everything is geared towards sick care which is very much what we do every single time every single day but I think we're witnessing a renaissance in medicine where we're actually looking at ways in which to improve the health of people and prevent them from getting in, in the first place and one of the things I loved about your book actually is how you go through the different seasons mm. and you weave in different lifestyle factors mm. as well and how relevant they are to different parts of the year mm. um, which is, is mm. absolutely one and I learned a f- uh, quite a few things from your book, actually, which yes. I'm hoping to, to chat about a little bit later as well. Good. But essentially, one of the, the, the key points that I got across was, uh, got from the book, is variety of yes. plants yes. and the complexity that we have in plants that is very, very hard to mirror with single elements that we take out and we put into pharmaceutical or even supplements as well. Mm -hmm. You know, visveratrol is very popular, Mm -hmm. curcumin is very Mm -hmm. popular. They definitely have certain uses. um, But for the majority of people, I like to think about uh, well-being, the creation of well-being in terms of food Mm -hmm. uh, and what we can buy in the supermarket and what we can forage as well. So I'm not a forager, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by this whole hobby or you know um a way of life um so and you do some foraging is that is that yeah, right well like, so, i do
0: i mean in my own garden actually so now <laughs> yeah. we're going to get you to do some foraging okay yeah, yeah because sure. if we grow you grow some nettles uh-huh. i should have brought you some nettles yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah i have brought some nettles cut but i'm not sure that they take and grow um roots like the geranium does mm. but um that means that you could be a forager in your own garden. And I am now foraging because I want more complexity. Yeah. I want more, um, uh, you know, I want I want to eat plants that are really robust mm. and complex and got lots of lovely phytonutrients yeah. and minerals and so on in them. Mm. And the wilder ones are the ones that have had to, uh, I don't know about this fight because I'm not too sure about that as a metaphor yeah. really, yeah, yeah. but they've had to respond. Yeah. They've basically had to have salutogenesis. Mm. They have had to respond to their environment mm. in order to get strong, yeah. Yeah. healthy, resilient. Yeah. Mm. And so they've developed many phytochemicals, plant chemicals. Mm-hmm. Phyto, I'm a phytotherapist. Mm-hmm. I'm a plant therapist mm-hmm. in, in European terms. Um, to develop their strength and ability to talk to other plants, mm-hmm. to resist disease, mm-hmm. whether it's antiviral, antifungal, antiseptic, mm. um, talk to a lure in insects, yeah. like that's part of the job of those phytochemicals yeah. which are uh, aromatic, uh-huh. the essential oils. They yeah. produce those in order to lure in chemicals yeah. in um, their, their predators or mm-hmm. their insects, and so pollinators front, yeah. and so on. And those are the very things that we've co-evolved with. Mm. We've co-evolved with these plants in that complexity, and we need them to have to be able to create that complexity in them.
1: Yeah. This is what yes. attracted me to the whole field actually of food and medicine initially. It was the study of phytochemicals. Mm. So the chemicals that we find in plants mm. that uh, essentially give us health benefits. Yeah. Um, and just reading some of the papers, I, I think I came across Diana Minnick, who's Minnick, she's a, a practitioner out on the stage, she's done a PhD in pharmacotherapy yeah. in um, uh, plant therapy as well, and written some incredible papers with Jeff Bland. And just the way she took, she has a wonderful way of, of explaining it to lay people using colors and a lot of like Chinese herbalism terms. But also a way of describing exactly what she means mm-hmm. by the, the the mechanisms behind which plants uh, confer benefits to us in scientific terms as well. Mm-hmm. So for someone who is, I, I'm pretty reductionist when it comes to, I want to know what the mechanism is, mm-hmm. what impacts B, what impacts C and what the ultimate outcome is. Obviously, as you know, it's not as easy as that. And it's, it's very, very simplistic to think about those terms. But for me, it's fascinating. I absolutely love learning about, you know, plant hormesis, for example, the, the mild stresses that actually elicit uh, a resilient response from the organism, be it our body, um, which leads to uh, improve resilience to stress later on, which I don't think a lot of people understand either because they think of, you know, you introduce this food and it cleanses you. Or you introduce this food and it reduces inflammation. Whereas actually, it's your body doing that. It's the relationship between the food and Mm. what it elicits in the body itself.
0: Do you know, I think there's one really easy way to understand this, or easier way. And that is, if I'm lifting a heavy thing, okay? Mm. So let's say I'm lifting this.
1: Mm. It's a crusade pan. It's (laughs) very (laughs) heavy.
0: So what that's doing is that immediately I lift that, Mm. there is... a a light stress on my on my uh, bones on my muscles Mm -hmm. and what are they doing in response to that stress if they didn't respond to that Mm. and that's the principle you know weightlifting or any kind of exercise um it simply wouldn't be strong i wouldn't be strong enough to lift so and if i go on lifting heavier things this again will keep responding but it's mild stress that it needs in order to grow or in order to get stronger yeah and yeah. it's the same for our heart. You yeah. know, you just start panting every day a bit. Mm-hmm. And you know that that heart muscle is going to get bigger mm-hmm. with, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will have more oxygen in the blood and it will have better perfusion. You'll get more uh, Angiogenesis, uh, angiogenesis like in yeah. a good way. Because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> <laughs> you can have pathogenic yeah. angiogenesis. So it's really understanding that stress good stress, yeah. not too much. Yeah. It's like that seesaw. If we have too much stress, yeah. we're dealing with the effects of too much stress in yeah. ourselves and in our patients. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that that balance that you are alluding to with angiogenesis, that Uh, That homeostasis that you know medium balance is true of every single pathology I find whether it be inflammation whether it be stress reduction whether it be you know everything you want just enough Mm. to elicit the health benefits Mm. but not too much that can turn it into a pathogenic uh, mechanism.
0: So our job really I suppose as medical herbalists and in functional medicine what you're trying to do is identify from a really good case history that doctors used to be taught how to take (laughs) and um, how to actually reduce the load, identify what the load is, the overstress load Mm -hmm. that's causing disruption in this system that says that's too much, the body system, and looking at different aspects of the body, the different functions and so on, the liver, the heart, the circulation, Mm -hmm. the immune system, and then say, well, how can we now nourish those systems? Mm -hmm. How can we provide every nutrient, the right rest, Mm Follow our design because mm-hmm. I think about design. The yeah. circadian rhythm. You know, what are we actually designed to do over practically 4.5 billion years? Yeah. Not us as humans, but life.
1: Yeah, and most absolutely. of life
0: is subject to light and dark, and that means that daylight is all about is about activity, and nighttime is all about repair mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. body and mind, mm-hmm. and understanding when we need to do that. So, plants come into this in terms of. Um, That complexity, which can begin to nourish some plants work very well on the liver because of the particular phytochemical mix or the groups of phytochemicals, Mm -hmm. and other plants work better on the heart muscle, Mm -hmm. just like um, digoxin, Mm -hmm. but digoxin comes in with lots of other glycosides and other compounds as well in the, um, uh, what's it called? fingers in foxglove but we don't use that in herbal medicine Mm. anymore because it's really difficult to get that right Mm. so but it's this complexity that that happens in plants that Mm. we really thrive on and the body decides what it wants of that and it might be in you that some of the compounds let's say in nettle Mm -hmm. or in an ordinary broccoli you know even monoculture grown broccoli you won't be using because we don't use everything Mm. in a food that we take in Mm. But, um, and I might use slightly different ones. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, the body decides really, and it's
1: highly I'm, complex. I am actually fascinated with that sort of evolutionary approach to mm-hmm. medicine. How have we designed to be in an environment, and how can we mimic what we're designed to do with the benefits and the advantages of modern living as well? Mm-hmm. So the very fact mm-hmm. that I can turn on my lights... Mm-hmm. Uh, gives me an advantage that I can work longer, but perhaps it's disruptive to my circadian exactly. rhythm. And exactly. you know, so it's it's marrying and, and trying to figure out exactly how that works. Yeah. And I think there are simple principles that you allude to in your book mm-hmm. as well, and that I've done in my, in my second book. Eat to be honest, where I look mm-hmm. at light, lifestyle uh, three hundred and sixty measures and how mm-hmm. that all kind of comes together. Um, but there are very simple ways of doing it. I think there's, there's where I, I'm probably guilty of this myself actually by overcomplicating yeah. the science uh, and you know, really the principles are very simple.
0: This is absolutely it, Rupi. The principles are simple and it is about variety, complexity, yes, but how do you serve complexity? You serve complexity with variety. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, and that's that's the way nature's designed. Mm. So you, I mean, I love this because talking to patients, you do have to, if you want to help them understand, and they're, fa- I mean, we're all fascinated. How do our bodies work? Mm. And actually, you can get it across in in yes, you know, simple small ways. Yeah, yes, exactly. And and things like you know, oh, I see, I know, stressing that you know arm is strengthening it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the principle for nature. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. And that is hormesis. Yes. Hormetic yeah. stress right. is is having enough of that stress to actually create salutogenesis, <laughs> if I'm going to throw a <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, Greek terms around.
1: One yeah. of the things I've found, uh, it's its frustrating, but I suppose it's just the scientific process. Whilst uh, being on my nutrition medicine master's, you know, trying to figure out whether the phytochemicals that we find in berries, for example, actually can have an, an impact on a defined uh, Pathology, so let's say chir- colorectal cancer, for example, mm. Mm. you've got to figure out okay, what are the phytochemicals of which there are the thousands? Mm. Mm. What degree are, uh, what amounts of those phytochemicals are found in specific berries, which, mm. as you know, mm. will vary across berries mm-hmm. and their varieties, but also across season. Across season. where they And so across grown, land. Across land. land.
0: More vitamin C in and higher grown um, yeah. rosehip, for example.
1: And then trying to test that. Yeah. It, it would be naive to test that certain phytochemical that you find in a raw berry compared to what you find once it's been digested. Mm-hmm. And so you have to mimic what digestion is in a stomach and then you have to mimic what the microbiota could look like and what the metabolites of said phytochemical would look like and whether that's having impact. And then you've also got to negate the fact that when you eat a berry, you're eating fibre. You're eating probably a little bit of you know some other macro, uh, macronutrients. So mm-hmm. probably a little bit of protein in there as well. Yeah, yeah um, definitely, as you find in all fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's and it's, fats and so fats
0: and oils, which are super important. Exactly, yeah, it and so all and affect you.
1: Exactly, and so it's so complicated to find a robust study that will determine that yes. Berries are good for X, Y, Z. And it's in a preventative... Not in a, uh, a preventative way. We know they're definitely associated with prevention. But with cure... Well, not cure, but uh, treatment, yeah. it's very, very hard. Right? But
0: here's the thing. Mm. I think we need in medicine to develop new um, approaches to what is complexity. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in medicine, it's been very reductionist. Yeah. That's given us some benefits, Definitely, mm. because it's like looking in a pair, with a pair of, you know, really, really good, um, uh, what's not a pair of binoculars, the opposite. But, you know, the things that look at things more micro... micro microscope. Microscope, <laughs> microscope. thank you <laughs> very much. Yeah, microscope at what's going on at that tiny level. Mm. And maybe we still don't know what's going on on the quantum level. I mean, heaven knows. Mm. But it seems to me that if, that, like the meteorologists and the volcanologists at least, and not least, many other branches of science who have had to recognise they have to take... Nature's design is about complexity. Mm -hmm. So how do we design trials, you know, that reflect that complexity? But pharmacologists hold their hands up in horror and say, oh, Mm -hmm. we can't do that. But actually, that's the reality of nature. Mm -hmm. So maybe we have to think differently about how we do that work Mm -hmm and do more outcome studies or whatever.
1: Absolutely. And so I that think... we
0: can see, you know, because you've got so much variation in mm. you and me and, you know, 200 people in a trial. Mm.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's why it, it's easier to be as reductionist as possible. Like, at the moment, I'm, I'm designing sort of a research uh, study to, to test uh, a digital product that improves people's uh, consumption of fruits and vegetables. I would love to say... If we increase people's uh, vegetable consumption of these particular vegetables, this has an impact. It's, it's near impossible to do that. I think it's rather than unlikely, it's probably near improbable that it's ever going to be done. But I think uh, to your point, we do need to be a little bit more accepting of the vari- variability and actually uh, pragmatism and what we see and what we uh, advise patients on with those in front of us has to be based on some scientific evidence and then also a little bit of autonomy as well. But it's sometimes. what
0: evidence is, you see, because uh, Sackett, whose who's student, mm-hmm. um, Gordon Guyatt, uh, coined the term evidence-based medicine. Mm-hmm. He is the one that's best known for yeah. evidence-based medicine, but he said evidence-based medicine is three things. Okay. It's It's yes, scientific trials, gold standard, so-called, clinical experience, which is actually in fact what what you're doing, I guess, in a lot of uh, A&E, emergency medicine, is a lot to do with what's worked, Mm -hmm. Uh, because you can't exactly replicate that in a trial, can you? Yeah. And thirdly, patient values. Mm -hmm. And so-called patient-centered medicine is Mm -hmm. saying, do I feel, you know, for example, do I feel better? Mm-hmm. I feel better. Oh, but the doctor's not interested if I feel better. Mm. So I think that that's what Guy, Ga- uh, that's what um, Sackett said. David Sackett was said was really yeah. it, the triad yeah. of those things, and I think we need to take more account of that.
1: That's Absolutely. It. Yeah, I think um, I, I know exactly that Venn diagram of you know evidence based or gold standard randomized controlled mm. trials, etc., and the intersection with clinical autonomy. Uh, it is something that I think is gradually being eroded as we rely almost too much on data. And uh, clinical evidence, because there's never going to be enough mm-hmm. clinical evidence, and particularly when it comes to food. And this mm-hmm. is one of my pet peeves, I think, and I don't want to get on my high horse about this. Oh, do. But particularly do. when it get on your <laughs> when horse. it when it comes to food, we're never mm-hmm. going to get those uh, th- that evidence base that says this is 100% going to be improving your skin or yeah. your uh, whatever ailments there are. However, there are some reasonable things that we mm-hmm. can say, and one of the things is
0: variety. But maybe that's what we need to say, Rupi. I mean, maybe we don't have to say. 100%, because what's 100% for you, if we ever discover that, mm. you know, and the changing, it's a dynamic state of mm. health, solution yeah. genesis. Um, you've got this change all the time. The gut floor is not the same. That's going to make yeah. a difference to all those messages going up here. Mm. The amount of, you know, fiber that you take in is going to change. I mean, everything changes yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. So its I think it's about these principles, mm. and it does come back to you know, what Hippocrates said. Mm, yeah. And we need to, I think, one of the most important things that we need to do, actually, and we can do in, in medicine, whether we're a conventional medic, ahead of the game, as you are, and Rongan as well, yeah. you know, and all these others, an increasing number of fantastic young doctors who are saying, we just want to do what is more human, mm. you know, and, and bring in all our scientific knowledge, but not throw out You know, what we can see in front of us Mm. um, is to um, uh, what we can do as people involved in medicine in one way or another and health and creating health Mm. is actually to value our food growers. And, uh, you know, what is derogatorily known as a peasant farmer Mm. around the world. They're doing fantastic work. They're keeping most of the population alive and mostly with complex traditional non-monoculture mm. which is really valuable mm. and we can be baby peasant, peasants ourselves you know growing little bits and pieces for example on our um, windowsills, or if you have a garden you're lucky enough to have a garden or a, or a, um, a, a balcony and grow things like little like bits of um, nettle and uh, geranium, I've got now. Geranium, exactly, <laughs> and maybe parsley, and some of the really concentrated uh, uh, plants, uh, so called herbs, that are concentrated all in these phytonutrients and minerals and so on, parsley, for example. Because. That's one of
1: the things I tell people all the time, actually, you know, it, if you don't have access to ingredients that are perhaps less well known, mm-hmm. honestly, simple kitchen herbs are yes. perhaps one of the most nutrient dense exactly. ingredients you find. Very accessible. Very accessible. And you can get in more supermarkets, yeah.
0: Well, I'd say to patients all the time and when I'm teaching, go to the supermarket. Yes. When you've got a tickle in yeah. the back of the throat, go to the supermarket, buy even that rather watery, not very nutrient-dense as nutrient dense as it should be, because it's probably been grown on hydroponics, which is not very good, mm. because it's just grown too fast, mm. so it hasn't had a chance, and it hasn't been stressed enough to develop all that lovely complexity of yeah. phytonutrients. but. Thyme is still one of the most antiseptic yeah. plants you can have. Chew it mm. Bit bit, you know, a bit hardcore, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it won't yeah. taste very nice. Yeah. But instantly, yeah. you don't have to go and sit for hours or wait to get to see your doctor. Mm. Just go and get some thyme or some sage and chew a little bit mm. or rosemary. Yeah. And instantly you've freed up those essential oils, which are known for their antiseptic action. In the throat, where you want them mm. to go and gobble up those uh, bacteria, or or help to disarm the virus, mm, mustn't yeah. use these <laughs> these these warlike. Yeah. I, don't yeah. the, yeah. I don't think that's I don't think that's really like nature. Well, we're, we're trained to At sort of like works. think
1: about things as a fight and things we about are. attacking and, and that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think um, it really. It's kind of like the immune system, like you know, uh, boosting or or uh, making the analogy of it being a military force. In, in the book, I talk about immune system as more of a peacekeeper, so we're keeping everything in harmony. Mm, that's lovely. You know, We're detecting what yes. uh, cells are malfunctioning or mutated, and we clear those away. And we're also accepting, okay, that's not for on that self. I'm not going to attack that. And when that goes out of disarray, yes that's when you have issues with uh, poor immunity or, or mm. uh, an excessive immunity mm. um, and leading to autoimmunity, which is a, a fa- ta- fantastically complicated subject. Mm. Um, and now, as I'm sure you were, last year there was a Nobel Prize awarded for immunotherapy for cancer, mm. which is why I, I'm... I'm Looking at this like mm. rigorously, I know it's going to be a huge, huge thing going forward. You combine all those different things mm. like angiogenesis, mm. um, the gut microbiota, as well as the, the microbiota of all different parts of our body. Yes, exactly. Our mouths, the, the vagina skin, vagina, ears, yeah, yeah.
0: scalp. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Which people are not really aware of. Yeah. And, yeah. and the other thing is it's also the microbiome that's actually sitting on that leaf, even on that yeah. inert. There's biofilms and microbes Yeah. because the they're just the invisible. Mm. Of course in the soil, mm. there's fermentation going on all the time, and so on. Mm. Um, we should probably get cooking. We better. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours yeah, on this yeah. because it's so totally fascinating yeah. and, so, and important. Actually, it's really important that absolutely. we do shift. Yeah. You know these paradigms. Yeah, that, absolutely. Into complexity.
1: Totally. totally. <laughs> so um, tell us what we're
0: going to do. Okay. So what we are going to do is. I think there are two, what I teach is like there are two really basic Mm -hmm. dishes, Mm -hmm. which are so simple to make and are designed to get people who don't like cooking to cook Mm -hmm. with no time Mm -hmm. being wasted and Uh it's really easy. And one of them is a a kind of smoothie dish with oats, nuts, seeds and fruit on the one hand. Mm -hmm. So a good breakfast to last four hours in the body, no snacking needed, feel full and so on. Then what we're going to do is the next thing... Which is to make a base dish which every culture has used, Mm -hmm. which is combining uh, a grain on the one hand and a legume, Mm -hmm. a bean Mm -hmm. or a lentil, on the other. And by putting those two families together, Mm -hmm. families are really key, you're getting all your protein. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other plants like quinoa Mm -hmm. uh, or quinoa quinoa.
1: That's one thing I love from your book, actually, about how
0: quinoa is related to the beet family. I have no I don't idea. No. It's great. I have no I idea. Know. Yeah. And you can eat the leaves. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, fantastic. And amaranth uh-huh. is another one. Yeah, yeah And yeah. many, many cultures use that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and gooey, which is even better, it's gel-like, which is very good for our gut flora. Yes. But anyway, so in the Caribbean, you've got rice and peas, albeit often white rice, mm-hmm. which we're not so keen on because that stripped away most of the nutrients. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in India, you've got dalbard, mm-hmm. or in the East, you've got um, majjbara. Mm-hmm. Excuse my Arabic. <laughs> yeah, Anybody yeah. who's listening who speaks yeah, yeah, Arabic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and I've learnt, you know, this is why we need diversity again, Uh, because uh, then we teach each other. You know, we all learn from each other. Mm. So, because humans are prone to, as we know now, a lot of mistakes, not just mistakes, but getting it wrong a lot of the time. Not not sapiens, Mm -hmm. not sapiens. So, um, (laughs) what we're going to do is mix that grain... And the lentil, in this case, because they're really quick, well, quick to cook in that they're only 35-40 minutes. But you can go away and do something in that 35-40 minutes. So effectively, it actually only takes about five minutes of your time. And we could time it for fun, but we won't. won't. (laughs) (laughs) So let's say we're making four days. And Uh the reason that I suggest four days is that probably, as long as you've got a cold fridge, it probably won't keep longer than four days, and we shouldn't really do that. So... Shall we go for it?
1: Yeah, let's go Yeah, so we've got some short grain rice, rice. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And we've got what I actually prefer more, which is the black rice. Yeah, Because we're always talking, you're always talking about phytonutrients, yeah. phytochemicals, particularly the pigments mm-hmm. in food. Yeah. And um, black and dark, mm-hmm. they aren't the only foods we should eat because we want variety. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese say 30. It said in 1985 or 6, to of the whole population aim to eat... 30 different foods a day.
1: 30 different foods a yeah. day? But
0: actually, it's not that difficult. My breakfast yeah. has 13 elements in it. Okay. And that would include... And now we're going to do something... Well, we're going to count as we go. Yeah, okay. okay? Well, let's, just, let's right. count as we go along. So <laughs> I've already had almost half that element in my first meal of the day. Yeah. So we've got this gorgeous black rice. Mm-hmm. They call it black Venus rice. Mm-hmm. You can also get an amazingly beautiful rice, which is really long. Mm-hmm um oh, black rice. rice well yeah i don't know if this is wild or not i mean i i don't know
1: the ones that i the the ones the i'm great. thinking of are like really long spindles yes. and they're quite ah. chewy they take a little bit longer to cook but they're they're wonderful what was yeah.
0: the one you were saying was something in india are we, are we talking india? Oh, but but in oh forbidden rice Forbidden rice. yeah so or this is, is also
1: this is also called forbidden rice this mm. black venus rice um there's a story i think about how it was forbidden for peasants to eat because that was reserved for the uh, yeah. the royalties as as well, now we can
0: big up the peasants. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the royalty is very, very naughty. These yeah. rich people <laughs> right round the world saying we want our stuff. But it was interesting that they don't, because normally you think of the rich as having, unfortunately, led us down this path of refined mm. white food, mm. white. No, no, we don't want that. That's a treat thing. We want colours, yeah. We want colours, we need colours to help us live. So we're going to put, Mm -hmm. I would just put roughly half a cup of each. Okay, cool. So there's no um, actual amounts as such, but Mm -hmm. roughly half a cup of each will do about four days' worth. Mm -hmm. And what the aim is... I've got this
1: on a low to medium heat in this... uh, Yes,
0: that's fine. So maybe... Lovely plate, by the way. I know, there's so nice something. There. So these are black, they're called beluga lentils. <laughs> and, of course, you can use, you know, pre-lentils. Mm.
1: Those these are ones. my favourite.
0: Yep. I, I think these might be your favourite from now on. Oh, okay, fine. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> so you can't really <laughs> yeah. see them, but they're the sort of grey, brownie ones. Yes, yeah, yeah. Black, sort of black. They're also fantastic. Mm-hmm. The key thing is not that there's one better than the other. We yeah. need variety. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, but just, I'd probably avoid the red lentils i mean have them but Mm. they've taken the skin away Mm. Mm. and they're quick to cook which means that they're not going to last as long in us and the idea is to have food that you need to chew Mm. that will break down slowly Mm. and that's what again means our blood sugar is nice and even and our insulin that is released to take up blood sugar is again a low level Mm. Mm. and that's what is the beginning and the end well not the end but certainly the beginning of keeping our inflammation under control. Exactly. Yeah, so keeping in homeostasis. And, from, yeah. Chronic disease is it's too much inflammation and this is lovely anti-inflammatory food. Mm-hmm. So, people might say, "Ah, oh, but I'm very windy."
1: Yeah. You've got to go. You've Are got you to go slow. You... No, I'm not because I've no. got I've got used to this. You've got, um, but I've had loads of why. patients that you know, if you were to eat this straight away, you went yeah. from having a refined diet to having lots of different um, uh, high fiber foods. Yes. You'll know about it, and everyone else yes. will know about
0: it as well. The idea is variety. Yeah. You know. So that's that, and then all we do is we put double the amount of water on. Cool. So cold water or hot? Cold, uh, probably cold, because it cold, gives you yeah. a chance to then... To bring up to the boil, yeah? yeah? Okay, yeah. fine, let me... Uh... But yeah, cold water's fine. Yeah. So maybe that's about enough, I yeah. think. Okay. And if we overdo it, well, it doesn't matter, we'll just boil it off just quick. Just let it cook a little bit yeah.
1: longer, yeah. Yes. Okay, fine. The idea like is this. really
0: 40 minutes, 35... 35 to 40 minutes. Okay. I mean, these are all... Just so it's double the amount of water, basically. Yeah, and look at the thing. colour
1: of that. It's, it's gone mm. like a deep, deep black already. But you could use that with a different rice grain, a different lentil. That's
0: the beauty of this. You can vary things a lot. So we've got short grain brown rice, which I really like. Mm-hmm. I like it, and, and like basmati. But I think long grain brown rice I find really boring. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people get put off by. Yeah. Yeah. But this is nutty and delicious. Yeah. And that, along with the lentil, it could be an orangey. It could be, um, you know, what are the more sort of orangey brown lentils you could use as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could use aduki beans.
1: Oh yeah, I love aduki
0: beans. And what's the other one? Moon beans. Moon beans. Because yeah. they're really that. They, again, they don't need soaking overnight. Yeah. And in fact, we'll come to that in a minute. Yeah. So yeah, com- always... combinations. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And and lots of different. You can you you can chuck in some quinoa, uh-huh. even though it only takes ten minutes yeah. to cook, and yeah. you can get black quinoa.
1: You can, yeah, uh, yeah. You can I'm get tricolor quinoa in some supermarkets all now. All the
0: proteins in the quinoa. Yeah. Very yeah. unusual. Yeah. Whereas here we're combining the two to yeah. get all the protein.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so barley, barley, which looks very much like that, mm-hmm. pop yeah. barley, or. Um, and something
1: you told me just before recording <gasps> that it costs.
0: 99p, a like kilo, kilo, even in Whole Foods, That's because you can self-service, it's it's in bulk.
1: Incredible. Isn't yeah, i start eating more. So volume. we need to put a lie
0: to this idea that you've got to be rich, have a big income to eat mm. well. The best food. Mm. In fact, you know, and I work sometimes with the homeless, and mm. it's something I really want to do more of. People that don't have kitchens. Yeah. How can you eat well? Yeah. And without a kitchen, without security.
1: So this is something that we have started on the new modules of culinary Medicine at Bristol Medical School and soon to be at UCL as well. Um, We put a module in food security because um, there's four million people, I think, in the UK that worry about where their next meal is coming from. It's a really, really big issue. Four million people using food banks in Mm. one of the richest nations in the world. It and is this, disgusting and I think most people don 't understand that a lot of a lot of households only have a microwave or they don 't have a hob or you know they, they don 't have kitchen utensils, so i'd love to hear a bit more about that actually about how you work with well
0: that. I would say, and this is this is the principle mm-hmm. that say i don 't have time to do this i 'm very blessed not to be homeless, but if i don 't have time to make my this particular mix, mm-hmm. and this by the way is forty minutes we're pinging pinging on mm-hmm. um, is that getting tins of beans
1: yeah.
0: and tins of, if you aren't a vegetarian, yeah. tins of oily fish yeah. in brine, in spring water, mm. probably even better than what they call olive oil, you know, olive sardines and olive oil, unless it's really good quality. Mm. But they're cheap. It's, I mean, possibly too cheap, mm. you know, because of the fishermen and yeah. the work involved. But it's 48p yeah. or so on for a tin. yeah, yeah, And that tin... It's all your protein, it's mm. all your anti-inflammatory, nourishing for the skin, for the head, for the mm. nerves. Mm. So just those two things, Rupi, you've got yeah. your, your tin of beans, even if you have a third of a tin of beans, mm. and some oily fish. And let's say you could go and pick your own yeah. nettles. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not so easy to pick your own parsley wild, yeah. but, yeah. you know, something, dandelion leaves. Yeah. Okay, we have made a dish that is probably 50p plus... 20p maybe of the beans a third of the plus free dandelion leaves now of course if you've got a little balsamic vinegar or lemon juice and some olive oil or of course that transforms it yeah yeah but you know you've got you you can't you could pay 20 pounds for a a for a meal Mm. but you won't get the nutrition you've got in there so there we are, I rest yeah. my case, we yeah. have affordable, <laughs> yeah. the most delicious and best for our human body yeah. food is there in three ingredients.
1: I'd love to hear a bit more about um, your work with Living Medicine actually, mm. because uh, I had a look at your website and what your aim is mm. to, to create a, um, uh, a centre in the middle of London where people can actually learn about how to forage, to grow their own, to utilise herbs and spices and to cook as well, which really marries well with my Mm. sort of vision of all GP surgeries having a community kitchen affiliated with them Um, but yeah so so how far along have you gone with the
0: well I started inspired by Tim Smith oh yeah and the Eden Project Uh and he wrote a book about how to do it yeah and telling future truths, uh-huh. which is that he, anyway, that's another story. So, um, and Fulham Palace was coming up, and uh, t- t- the Hammersmith and Fulham were saying, what do you want to happen to this to this walled garden in Fulham Palace? And I thought, oh my god, we need to put a World Herbal Medicine Food Centre to complement Chelsea Physique, mm. to complement Kew, a garden where it's actually, you can actually pick and make and use. So mm. it's the people's medicine, you know, mm. to perhaps coin a phrase um but bringing all the cultures of the country together mm-hmm. to celebrate and value their traditions mm-hmm. nobody's really doing it and saying what you know yeah. even you mm-hmm. who is okay you're a doctor but you have a mother who maybe use some of these mm-hmm. all our cultures have got this valuable knowledge but who's really saying look it's valuable you're yeah. saying that yeah. actually yeah but we all need to do it yeah so it's a, a great World Herbal Medicine Food Centre could be grown by the world, by the British public mm. of all our cultures on their windowsills, in schools and so on. And we would co-create it. It would be the first great centre of excellence that oh, love is, them. you know, not top down because yes. that's not the way nature works either. Yeah. So we've got, but to do this big idea, we have to sow the seeds of knowledge first, yeah. I realised, because yeah. we're not like the Garden Bridge, you know, in London didn't work for all kinds of reasons, but, um, I mean, huge amounts of money spent on an idea which didn't involve the public in a way. Mm. And yet it's a lovely idea, but if it's not going to be something that's usable, that's a huge resource that also draws on all our wisdom, I think that's the thing. It's something that We've all got this knowledge, let's pool it yeah. and make something together. One well, of the
1: wonderful, wonderful things about living in London, actually, mm. is the fact that we do have an array of different cultures. And one of the things that I noticed in your book was, you know, you talk about Arabic culture, you talk about Indian culture, about Chinese culture. And actually, we're living in a hotbed where the traditions are still exist to mm. this day. We still have a lot of culture. But it is gradually being eroded, actually. And so we need to sort of get back to that way of living and, and to support health, like we talk about mm. genesis. Mm. You know, it's not about shunning Western medicine. Mm. It's not about, like, uh, stating that pharmaceuticals don't have a role. They absolutely have a role. But also self-care is, is something I'm very passionate about. And when you look at the proportion of lifestyle-related issues burdening the NHS at the moment, you know, without assigning blame, it, it is a lot to do with personal care. Uh, and if we can actually have societal community groups in uh, communities that's that 's how we actually get change of a, Exactly. but from a governmental point of view yeah. doesn 't sound very sexy there 's no four know, year cycle there there 's no like you know yeah. hard and, 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 and fast results to be gained in the next few years it 's something that is definitely long but uh, This is the beauty really about
0: you know your younger colleagues the the student med- student medics are now saying, we need to know about nutrition. Mm. It's clear, you know, because we all know it's lifestyles, which isn't about blame. It's because that's the environment we're all growing up in with rows and rows of supermarket, you know, sugary cereals, which people think are healthy to give their kids, Mm. which we now know is the absolute opposite. Mm. So it's priming them for diabetes. It's about the way our industry runs. It's about the food industry. It's it's so many things. So it's not about, quite rightly, it's not about individual blame, but it's about... What we can do is now that we're a bit more enlightened, and we yeah. certainly don't know the whole story, but we can start to share that knowledge. And how do you feel when you eat slightly differently, like you're designed? And that's what the medical students have really
1: yeah.
0: understood, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Bristol and right round the country. They're yeah. saying yes, we must teach people how to eat and learn ourselves how to eat.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Actually, we took them to um, uh, Pennybrook, which is a uh, cancer centre. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know them very well. Brilliant, yeah, because yeah. we had a day there, like an afternoon, and uh, they got taken around by a nutritionist and our registered dietitian, and they got taught about the different sort of herbs and, and things that they grow in the grounds yeah. and stuff and that connection. And it's, it's it's absolutely incredible. It really is. And there's so much knowledge. And I think, you know, it was a shame for... People who unfortunately were living with cancer, that it took that long for them to even get that knowledge mm. because that should be accessible mm. to everyone. Not to say that, you know, would have prevented cancer mm. or anything like that, but just that the knowledge around how intertwined we are with nature, it was, it was pretty amazing for the students mm. to see that as well.
0: But in fact, and of course, Robert Thomas in Addenbrookes and Kiefer Mockmel in London, a surgeon. A lot of them, you know, they're beginning to be much more aware of this. Robert Thomas in
1: particular, yeah.
0: Robert Thomas in particular. And I've worked in breast cancer for 20 years in breast cancer support. So I'm helping at the Breast Cancer Haven in London, but there are now several branches around the country. And that's all about how do we support ourselves uh, to prevent recurrence, to deal with the side effects of drugs, to help us through... Um, you know the operations and chemotherapy and all of that and actually you do reduce risk of recurrence and it's changing lifestyle knowing about alcohol and the risk in breast cancer and ramping up hormones Mm. that grow tumors how to reduce those so it it does reduce risk I mean these are preventative Mm. Um, many the approach is emotional and it's taking again the whole human being absolutely so I think reviving the kind of knowledge um, that we have around all of this lifestyle, circadian rhythm, how to sleep, when to sleep, when to eat, all of this information is now at hand, and we just need to make it more available.
1: Absolutely, I, th- I think I like to think of different interventions, particularly with people living with cancer, uh, It's divided into macro and micro. So, macro uh, thing factors would be sleep, your uh, general exercise um, uh, activity levels. Uh, alcohol, um, a whole bunch of, yeah. of things on a macro level, and yeah. no, a micro level. And no, forgive me if I'm uh, um, belittling the subject, because okay. I'm not. But I think the micro-level are some of the supportive factors that medical herbalism can offer, Mm. conventional medicine can offer, psychological treatments can offer as well. Mm. Perhaps that's a macro. Um, But there are, I think that's probably a macro. Um, But yeah, (laughs) Yeah. there's all these other sorts of uh, complementary therapies that we can actually Mm. have to support people. Mm.
0: No, I mean, I I completely agree. I mean, with something like, basically health is about many, many factors. Mm. So as a medical herbalist, we have something to contribute because we've got these strong... Um, uh, multifactorial medicines, you know, complex medicines to give people. But it's not the only, none of us have got all the answers. Mm. And certainly the macro factors are, well, that's what's probably changing the environment Mm -hmm. around us. You know, how you eat, how you sleep. You're changing the internal environment and how we live, love, Mm. friendships, Mm. isolation. I think actually the emotional component is huge i'd say yeah. that's a macro macro yeah, i'd say definitely. it's well it's almost more important possibly even yeah. than food because yeah, no, no, it's no, the most yeah. direct thing mm. you know it's in the bloodstream already all those neurotransmitters mm. neurochemicals that are having a big effect let alone hormones mm-hmm. so yeah i think that's that's and it's back to environment so absolutely we're always taught in medicine uh, well in in life unfortunately yeah. that you know that plant mm. well how did that develop that plant it actually developed in an environment and it developed with a bee or a pollinator mm. without that pollinator it wouldn't be there yeah, yeah. so it's 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 the environment and the the thing, that's the system. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So that's what we have to really understand and we really need to rethink education in terms of seeing things as a whole and not as separate parts. We can do a bit of separate part, that's great, drill down, but then keep lif- lifting the head and looking mm. at the whole. Mm. And people get it, I think. You
1: know. As a conventional medic, sometimes uh, I'm Uh, discouraged from thinking about foods in sort of a a health context or a medicinal context Um, and I think there's been some cases where people have almost gone to the extreme of like just relying on plant pharmacology or herbal medicine and stuff to treat and to cure what are your thoughts on that because I'm sure you've probably come across that yourself given your well I think this is
0: one of the things in in cancer or any kind of life-threatening disease that people are grabbing at straws in a way. And also partly what's underpinning that is that they want to do something that feels human and natural to their body. Mm-hmm. And it course with all of us, you know, the idea of having something very mega chemical that's going to destroy part of the body in order to help another part. I mean, how sophisticated is that really? Mm-hmm. But the point is that herbs are only one part of support. Mm-hmm. And and given that we don't have all the answers. I think to be able to use herbs alongside drugs mm-hmm. um, is really sensible and lots of other things. I mean, with cancer and most chronic disease, you know, whether it's eczema that's been going on for years and years, mm-hmm. it's not just about taking one thing mm-hmm. and it's all going to be better. Even a herb that may be doing lots of different things in the body, and that's usually not enough. You've got to look at lifestyle, mm-hmm. you've got to remove the stressors, mm-hmm. you know, and that's looking at the macros you remove the stressors or reduce them and you up the support mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the body can actually deal with its functions absolutely not spill over into you know excreting through the skin or yeah. disabled barrier or whatever it might be yeah.
1: yeah i think it's a really important topic because i think um a, a lot of people particularly across social media uh when we're easily influenced by very small nuggets of information sometimes that can explode in people's minds and it leads to a the the detriment to their personal health but b the detriment to the different professions working collaboratively in the future because you get an impression of medical herbalism that's all about people trying to kill themselves with plants Hopefully not trying. because of the
0: word medical yeah. i e yeah. not trying to but you 're right there exactly. may be, it yeah. may be a perception like that, yeah. and that 's certainly not how any responsible i mean we 're taught medicine, and so by learning not to the level of a doctor, mm. some of us are medics, mm. some of us are scientists, but mm. but what we 're trying to do is to say what can we learn and by learning about physiology, you absolutely the first thing you learn is one herb or a few herbs is not going to be the whole thing because it's just so much more about working together yeah Yeah. Yeah, absolutely and it's
1: almost like the the body is like an ecosystem in which case we need to work like an ecosystem where everyone has their specialty and everyone has their ability to support Mm. Uh, and and some patients are probably more receptive to that than others i mean i certainly have People in general practice that just want a pill Uh, like you know i try and talk to them about lifestyle factors and how this might uh help be impacting it Mm -hmm. a i'm restrained by the eight minute consultation time i have and then b Mm -hmm. i'm also restrained by trying to maintain and uh, start a rapport with the patient trying to get to the the underlying diagnosis and then trying to offer treatments Mm -hmm. that are um, respectful of their beliefs and values as well and there's a shared sort of relationship there when you try and add other things to it it's, it's quite a tough one to, to take huge, and it's
0: not like you're trained yeah you're trained to take a case history which certainly would take longer than eight minutes
1: absolutely yeah and and almost the scary thing about doing the stuff that i do on social media and, and youtube and all the rest of it and podcasts you never want to be seen to be doing harm you never want someone to look at a soundbite of something and say oh that doctor is talking about food as medicine and this is why I'm just gonna go for food and I'm gonna shun traditional medicine. That's not, that's not what medicine is. First of all, it's not just about just drugs or food or, or herbs or anything. It's about looking at the patient holistically. And I think it takes a clinician, someone who actually sees patients to, to, to realize that. And, and talking of patients, I'm fascinated by the work that you do at Whips Cross, Uh, and you work with a dermatologist, is that right? Yeah, I'm
0: just part of the team, and my colleague as well, who um, uh, is is part of the team too, because we we, we run two day-long clinics a month, and um, we're paid by, not by the NHS, Mm. so this is not an NHS service, it happens to be an NHS hospital and I'm part of the team, Mm. but... um, For, yes, now 20 years, which is astonishing, but it's been paid for by the universities or colleges that have been training medical herbalist students. So they sit in and we get medics sitting in and you can come if you have, yeah. probably don't have any time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and medics sit in and, and so on.
1: Well, a colleague of mine actually went. Uh, her name oh, is Jo. Really? She was, she's also doing a master's oh, with me. Course, yeah, yes. yeah, in nutritional medicine. Yeah. yeah, and she was like, you need to go. You need to go yeah. and, and try it out. because you, So you work alongside some dermatology consultants. Yeah,
0: so how it works is that... Um, I mean, we have a room, you know, we come there and we're all day in a room in the, in the, in the dermatology area, and the nurse practitioners, the whole team, basically mm-hmm. refer patients to us. Those who are either uh, not doing well on their drugs, mm-hmm. can't tolerate the drugs, don't want the drugs, mm-hmm. or are having the drugs, mm-hmm. but things are not improving. Gotcha. So we then, I will get this a whole hour uh-huh. for my first patient. And that's a standard thing for it's us as medical herbalists. Some oh, of them actually take an hour and a half, so yeah, I have yeah. to get an awful lot in, because yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do what you're trying to do. How you do it in eight minutes I don't know, yeah. but I know because of the person you are you probably can. <laughs> but um, so I'm trying to get, make the rapport, get the information mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. a whole lifetime of, of material, yeah. and then teach, share, find out where they are, mm-hmm. what's interesting to them, what their diet is. I ask mm. them to give me a food diary, yeah. and then work with the food diary and say, right, how about adding this in, or how about adding, and very simply explaining, keeping your blood sugar level even is the number one mm. to me. Yeah. I mean, apart from the brain yeah. you know, and the yeah. emotional stuff, but yeah. that comes into. So, how do we keep our blood sugar level even? How can we eat? As we know, at TRF and Satchinanda Panda and all that—you know—all the work that's being done around the circadian rhythm, mm-hmm. when to eat, i.e., mostly during the day. But these are broad principles. So, mm-hmm. mostly eat during the day, less in the evening, and earlier. Mm-hmm. That's not difficult. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it might take a little bit of doing, but then you shift yeah. your food, like we're doing here, to a bigger lunch. Mm-hmm. Let's just check this isn't going. It's doing beautifully beautifully um so we shift some of our food to breakfast and lunch Uh and if not breakfast because some people don't want to eat that but that may be because they've had a big meal at night so you're not less likely to be so hungry in the morning um shift it to say you know 11 or 12 you could even have two meals a day a big meal during the light hours in the morning uh, late morning and then another meal like they used to do in the old days Mm. Uh old days, as in you know even in the last century, where you had tea yeah. at about four, yeah. yeah which is a great idea yeah. <laughs> that, that was of course all because of the industrial revolution, yeah, and you yeah. finish work at four, start much earlier, yeah. and then you have your your biggish meal, but at least a biggish meal lunch and, and then four or early breakfast and four but then you are you've got all that time to d- digest that food, and then when you go to sleep then you have got, your body is going into repair mode. It's not dealing with digestion. Yeah. So it can actually repair the villi on the inside of the gut that mm-hmm. make up the surface area, which are sloughed off. Yeah. Yeah. It can do all the other repair jobs. Yeah. So it's a lot to do with that. And people, oh, yes, of course. And you need to get, you know, first four hours, ideally, of the night's sleep yeah. is when your growth hormone is, highest, hormone is highest and that's when you're repairing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So there's a lot of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's how we work, and then if appropriate and as long as there's no herb-drug interaction, I would give um, herbal medicine four or five herbs or maybe up to seven herbs in a mix, usually as an alcoholic tincture, 100 mils a week. So that's a teaspoon and mm-hmm. a half twice a day-ish, yeah. Yeah. maybe more. Maybe some tablets if I need a little bit more, or tablets if people don't have alcohol, for example, or teas or decoctions. Mm-hmm which is boiling up a raw herb, a dried raw herb usually. But there are so many ways that you can give herbal medicines. Shots, you can even make a shot with, say, those lovely uh, nettles, which are so rich in practically every neurotransmitter that's in here that's in that nettle. Uh Um, You can whiz a little bit of that, just a sprig, with some water in a nutribullet, like a half glass, and have a shot. The sting won't be there when you've whisked them, yeah, blended yeah. them. Because
1: when you when you cook them or macerate them, the sting the sting
0: goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. So, so there's of... lots of ways to do it. You know, with different cultures yeah. who don't want alcohol. Absolutely. So you can
1: yeah, especially in Whips Cross. I mean, yeah. like yeah, it's a, a very diverse population. What kind of things do you tend to see in in your clinics? Well, we've got
0: acne, a lot of alopecia, Uh alopecia totalis sometimes. And it's not about, we'll say, okay, alopecia, eczema, lots of eczema, Mm -hmm. quite a lot of autoimmune conditions, rosacea. I mean, really, the kind of common... Common ailments that I see in general practice. But sometimes bullous pemphigoid. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. um, You know, autoimmune conditions. Because what we're doing, and you know about the anti-inflammatory actions of some of these herbs, albeit that they're not really, in your terms, as you started off Mm. saying, you refined down to exactly what's happening. But we've got... You know, TLR, anti-TLRs, or mm. pro-TLRs, mm. whatever, in, and um, interleukin, yeah. anti-cytokine, anti-inflammatory. Yeah. And we know something about the different plants and how they work, a bit about how they work. that well, They definitely do, both in vitro and in vivo, have yeah. anti-inflammatory actions. Yeah. So we can use those plants, you know, when things like astragalus and feverfew and milk thistle, um, Rosemary rosemary actually is being looked at for uh, rosmarinic acid is one of the important constituents which has a very anti-tumor action in vitro. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's lots of...
1: um, Yeah, there's lots of mechanistic evidence, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's one of the um, uh, criticisms of of herbal medicine and food uh, nutritional medicine because we can determine what's happening in vivo, for example, uh, in a test tube or Mm -hmm. across a cell line. However, it doesn't always translate to uh, what happens in a human model. And to my frustration at the start of this mm-hmm. pod, you know, it's very hard to, to actually create those trials and actually create enough evidence base that will demonstrate, you know, this is actually having an impact. Um, so how do you get over that? I mean, is mm-hmm. it just see what you, what you see in practice or are you just going off the fact that, you know, it's most likely going to be safe and potentially beneficial mm-hmm. as long as there's no drug uh, mm-hmm. drug interactions?
0: Well, I think we should be doing more outcome measures because that's where outcome studies. But you need to, first of all, of course, as with trials, and I've done one in OA, herbal medicine Mm -hmm. and OA, in a a GP surgery some time ago with colleagues, uh, where we actually took about 13, uh, tried to reduce the variables, Uh and so uh we just used 13, just 13 herbs Uh uh, in different combinations for different people. But it was only about looking at the... the, um, the feasibility, it was a feasibility study. Gotcha. And that, yeah, I mean, it, it, it did show significance that we helped with reducing pain and stiffness and so on on a classic outcome measure. But um, I think if we, if we were able to design more of these, mm. yes, using complex mixtures mm. of medicine, but we then could power them up yeah. and have bigger, but somebody's got to pay for this, yeah, more exactly. people in those trials, yeah. then we would actually begin to show mm. Benefits, Absolutely. you know, against placebo. Let's mm. say, because mm. we did a placebo, a blind, yeah. randomized, placebo-controlled mm. trial mm. in this. But there aren't enough of them, and I think we need to do those um, as whole interventions. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Know. And what kind of um, successes have you had in the dermatology clinic? I'd love to. Know well, that.
0: we have a paper. Uh huh. We've done reviews. We've okay. done out. We've done reviews because. Uh, I'll definitely link to that in the show
1: notes for sure. sure.
0: We we use something called a modified MIMOP. Um measure. It's a self-reported um, self-reported oh. outcome measure. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look. Have we? Did we time it? Uh,
1: I haven't timed it. I'm no. just going by I.
0: Let's let's have let's have a little. Do you look. want to taste? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I think it's practically done. Really, mm. great. And and the other great thing that we didn't mention. I mean, I am your bean queen. Uh-huh. I am the bean queen, <laughs> the legume queen. Yeah. Because and particularly whether whether we're men or women. Um, you are, or anything in between, these are the bean family, mm-hmm. the legume family, is the one that's richest in protective phytoestrogens, uh, phyto, uh, mm-hmm. which means that they have lots of other things too. Yeah. But the phytoestrogen, the plant estrogen, which mm-hmm. is very different, looks similar but it actually acts very differently in our yeah. body, mm-hmm. um, means that it helps to moderate our own much too powerful Growth hormones like estrogen and testosterone. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of acting like a, a CERM and an AI. It's acting to block too much estrogen. It's yes. sort of sitting on receptors to protect them from our own too powerful estrogen. But it's also um, can tickle receptors in menopause, for example, up here, saying, Where's my estrogen? when mm. suddenly you get those drops. Mm. And then they, it can tickle them, but not to grow yes,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: a tumour. Yeah. Food
1: from different sources like lignans and flax seeds and, and beans, ligands, mm. and stuff may be protective against um, estrogen related uh, cancers.
0: Well, exactly. This is it. And so. Um, there are at least three three classes of phytobetin. You've got your lignans, yeah. your coumistans, mm-hmm. and your fla- isoflavones, flavonoid isoflavones in the flavonoid family, and also steroidal stapanins, saponins, and so on. And these um, are all doing something like that. So it's beneficial to have those. And that's where the Mediterranean diet, which has absolutely. quite a big component, which is the best-studied, yeah, yeah. has legumes. But yeah. so do most cultures. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's going and well, we need to revive thing. them and get isn't them it, back, it, to, yeah. back to our wonderful peasants and our farmers. Yes
1: what a wonderful conversation i had with the amazing alex laird you can check out some of her top tips for medical herbalism but some of the stuff that she talks about is actually very much lifestyle based so some of her top tips include putting some greenery on your windowsill so growing plants at home a very very easy thing to do there are lots of companies that actually send you house plants straight to your door as well as Edible herbs, as well. Kitchen herbs are fantastic sources of nutrition. It doesn't need to be fancy stuff. Fancy exotic spices are great, but the common herbs like basil, coriander, parsley are just as impressive try out a foraging class there are lots that you can find in your local area looking for berries and stuff like hedgerows it's very important that you go with an expert because there are lots of things that are inedible and may cause harm if you don't know what you're foraging so please please do it with a guide if you're new to the subject seasonal eating is very easy to do these days at the moment it's the middle of summer so we have strawberries and the doctor's kitchen is priding itself in giving people The tools to eat seasonally by showcasing ingredients on a weekly basis. You can check them out on the Doctor's Kitchen newsletter. Variety is key. Variety, variety. This is what I always talk about at the Doctor's Kitchen. As well as fiber, it's probably one of the most important concepts to get across in your plates, on your plates. Try walking meetings and eating alfresco. There is something innately health promoting by eating outside And during the summer months, it's very easy to do. You can check out the website and socials for Alex Laird on thedoctorskitchen.com. Check out her book and her private clinics and the links to Medical Herbalism UK websites. livingmedicine.org is her charity and you can find all of this information and more at thedoctorskitchen.com. Subscribe to the newsletter for weekly science-based recipes and much more to help you live the healthiest, happiest life. Give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed this pod and spread the love and the message. Tweet us at The Doctor's Kitchen, check out the Instagram, YouTube, and of course, don't forget to order a copy of Eat To Be Illness, my latest book. And I will see you next time.